Corbell CareerCast, the podcast from the Office of Career and Professional Development at the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies at the University of Denver. Today, we are joined by our Corbell student, Graham Everett, who will interview Corbell alum Meredith Moon from the Colorado Office of State Planning and Budgeting. All right, well, thank you and welcome, Meredith. I appreciate you um, coming on this podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So uh, at the beginning, we're just going to ask some introductory questions about your job. And if you don't mind, please letting us know um, when, where you work, um, when did you graduate Corbell? Uh, and then uh, what is the overview of uh, your office's mission and key areas of work? Sure. Um so I graduated from Corbell in 2017 from the Gifty program. Mm -hmm. And um, I joined the Office of State Planning and Budgeting in January of, what's this year, in 2021. Mm -hmm. it's, it's busy, so you kind of lose track of time. Um, in January of 2021. And the mission of our office, we work for the governor of Colorado, and we are the budget office for the governor. Mm -hmm. So our primary responsibility is to submit the governor's budget request on November 1st of each year. Okay. Um, we also produce quarterly economic and revenue forecasts and manage emergency funds and federal funds and um, just kind of have everything to do with all of the money that's flowing through the state. Gotcha. That's interesting. Um, and then I'm very curious, how did you get in, into this position? I see that you, you started early 2021 and now you've kind of progressed to this deputy director position. So what was that, uh, I guess, trajectory like? And then how else do other people maybe get into this field or into this office? Sure. So I started um, probably about six months after I graduated, graduated from Corbell. Mm -hmm working at legislative council staff, which is the nonpartisan staff of the Colorado legislature. Um, I was hired on as an economist there actually by another Corbell alumna. <laughs> so there's definitely a strong connection there. And I worked there for a little over three years before moving over to the office of state planning and budgeting. Um, I moved over to OSPB in a similar role at first as the senior economist and chief of fiscal strategy. Mm -hmm. um, I think working for the state legislature for three years gave me a really good base to kind of make an easy transition to OSPB mm -hmm. since both offices are responsible for the economic and revenue forecast that's presented on a quarterly basis to the joint budget committee. And you know, we do at Ledge Council, we did a lot of research for legislature legislators and really kind of dig into how the state works and how money flows through it. So um, it gave me a good start. So when I started at OSPB, um, you know, it was kind of luck that there was a position open at the deputy director level. And I think about three months after I started, um, I was promoted to deputy director of budget. Wow, that's awesome. It's a quick uh, promotion, but you know, might as well take that opportunity when you can. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so now to qualifications for this, you know, your jobs that you've had, I was very curious if you could talk quickly about what are some of the hard 
and soft skills that you think are most important for a position like yours? Sure. So I think you need to have an excellent balance of both. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people say that, but, um, you know, working kind of at the center of policy and politics in the state, Mm -hmm. you have to be an excellent communicator. Mm -hmm. And I focus on that first because, you know, if you can't clearly and effectively communicate your message across to either get a decision from decision makers or explain to people who might not understand the technicalities of what you're working on, you know, they're not going to buy into your idea and then run a bill or, mm. you know, do whatever kind of the intended outcome is. So that includes being able to write memos mm-hmm. very clearly and concisely for decision makers. I think a lot of people struggle with this because you want to explain things and go into detail and, you know, people like the governor just don't have time to spend really yeah. digging into details. Um, and obviously being effective, um, verbal communicator as well, uh, mm-hmm. in a similar vein for the technical skills, I would say, you know, we're the budget office, my team specifically, I oversee the team of economists here. So obviously having an economic background, um, having econometric and quantitative data analysis skills is very important for our team specifically. Um, But more broadly in our office for budget analysts, I would say you also need to be very quantitatively literate. You know, numbers come first and Mm -hmm. words come second, I would say. (laughs) And so, you know, taking courses even outside of Corbell, like accounting and finance, Mm -hmm. I think is extremely important and can serve you, you know, in this role for sure, but in almost any role that you take on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, are there other courses that you took at Corbell that you see as being very valuable and um, applicable um, at, at your job? I'm trying to remember back that far. Yeah. No need if you don't. But like, maybe <laughs> was there a skill you developed that you left Corbell with that you still use or are you still feel grateful for um, developing? Yeah. So... Since I was a gifty student, I well, I tried to take all the quantitative courses that I could. Mm-hmm. So I think statistics is probably the most important, um, especially, you know, for those who aren't econ focused also. Mm-hmm. There was a course, it was an adjunct professor who taught it at the time, and it was like data analysis for economics or something along those lines that was very helpful because it it makes the data analysis a little more practical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of learning how to tell stories with numbers is really important. Um, taking the uh, art of forecasting class um, was really helpful. It helps you think about how to forecast and how to think about the future, kind of what some of the risks are when you engage in um, that type of analysis and how to think about that. I think it's helpful, you know, while it's not a traditional economics program, I think kind of the political economy focus is important for the type of job that that I have since, you know, Mm -hmm. I am working with with policy and, you know, in the midst of politics, although we try to stay out of it. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, kind of having that political economy focus and, you know, understanding, like getting a good understanding of why decisions are made Mm -hmm. while they might not follow traditional economic thinking or rationale. um, That's, it's kind of how policy works. And um, it's a little different than just kind of sticking to the numbers, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm taking a course right now on American public policy process and it's, it's not simple. It's definitely a all hands on deck and compromising kind of industry or process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question about the the culture at your, at your work. Um, you kind of gave a little bit of the rundown of your duties, which was great. And I'm curious if you could describe more the work environment, you know, at the office to you, is it competitive? Is it more collaborative? Is there a mix in there? Or what kind of insight can you provide um, us at Corbell? Sure. Um, it's a very fast paced office. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the time of year, you know, we have different responsibilities and we're, you know, moving towards the end of legislative session right now. And despite being in the executive branch, we sometimes play a large role in the legislative process, in tracking bills, making sure that, you know, the negotiated amounts have been, <laughs> have moved through the process you know, the way that everyone thinks that they're supposed to. And then we often do analysis, um, you know, for upcoming legislation. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's a, it's a pretty collaborative process. I think through the whole year, we have to work closely together, especially when we're working on the forecast. Um, We usually have about a month to prepare it. And so we really have to have our, our ducks in a row to, to produce, you know, what's like a 70 page document, you know, four times a year. Wow. And so is your job kind of drafting that with your team or is there a specific part of that document that you're responsible for? So I personally oversee the whole process, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, talk through, we have a team of economists here. I think there's about five people on the team, Mm -hmm. um, including a chief economist now, so he can, you know, help guide things along a little bit more closely than I have the time to do, honestly. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we go through each economist's forecast of, you know, tax revenue streams, which is our primary focus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have broad conversations about what's happening in the economy. We forecast economic variables very collaboratively. And um, everyone has different pieces that they're responsible for writing in the document. So, you know, I will write small sections of that, but one of my main jobs is to edit the whole thing, make sure the messaging is right, you know, with looking at where we started and our expectations for the economy and where we end with the document, making sure that there's like a clear narrative throughout, making sure all the numbers make sense, and then, you know, preparing and presenting the forecast to the joint budget committee. Um, I do miss forecasting though. <laughs> I miss like doing the actual work. That's kind of the downfall that no one talks about when you move into the management is that like, you don't get to do the work anymore. And I really miss yeah. that. Yeah. So then you're in a way you're, you said you're supervising people, right? And so do you ever, are you responsible for recruiting or hiring people or interns in the office? Yes, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what would you say is like what's what kind of applications do you see at the pop out maybe on your desk or you know you spoke to the skills kind of but what kind of person um, a young person would uh, be you know the best fit for your office and what can they expect to learn if they intern or begin working at your job within the first few months so as far as skills go um i think you have to be very analytical Mm -hmm. um and be able to kind of draw conclusions you know using kind of different bits of information here and there um i think it's it's important to both you know at the beginning what you focus on as an analyst is kind of more detailed, you know, you will be responsible for the budget of one, at least one executive branch department. Okay. And so you'll analyze and review the budget requests that come through um, our office. And we manage the whole process for all of, for all of the departments. And so, you know, you'll kind of be in the weeds and, you know, really in the details, looking at everything. And then I think, you know, as you progress, like what helps you progress is being able to kind of understand the details, but also kind of start drawing up a little bit and seeing the bigger picture and how it all fits together at the state level. That's obviously very complicated to do. There are trade-offs that have to be made. And, um, you know, opportunity costs, if you will, you know, where's the best use of a dollar at the state? You know, is it with this department or that department? And so, kind of being able to get down in the details and then kind of draw back into the bigger picture. Um, I think you have to be very flexible as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, Things change in our office from one day to the next. And we might spend days or weeks like working on something and then the direction shifts because decision makers have like, you know, decided to go in another direction because of the way the negotiations happened or, you know, they've had conversations with stakeholders. And so they learned new information and they want to change direction. So, you know, then all of the work that you've done up until that point is kind of gone and you have to start over. Um, Oftentimes this doesn't happen over a matter of weeks. It happens over a matter of days or a matter of hours even. Mm -hmm. So you have to be like very flexible and willing to just you know, go with the flow. You know, we are not the decision makers. Um, the decision makers are the governor and the mm-hmm. legislators. And so, you know, you have to really be not wedded to your work, if you will, and mm-hmm. understand how your work fits into the bigger process. Um, so I think that's very important to like fit into the culture. Gotcha. Um yeah, it seems like it's. I mean, there's there's room for advocacy, but only to a point, right? Because you're you're there to make sure that that compromise or whatever's been reached in negotiation is actually going to be, you know, has supported. And so you're maybe going to go back and research or going to develop a new proposal for that change. Or like, mm-hmm. what does the what's the ask when they make a decision or they change their mind for your office? So. It depends. Oftentimes, you know, they will ask us, they'll say, we want to, you know, we want to save people money by lowering fees, which is Mm -hmm. something that the governor and the legislature is touting right now. Mm -hmm. So we will come up with a list of fees that can be reduced and how they will impact people across the state. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we could either be asked to then change those fees, you know, in one direction or another, depending on how much money they want to spend, mm-hmm. um, add new ones, we could scrap that and go in a different direction. Um, so it just kind of depends. But oftentimes we do get to make an initial recommendation and provide more technical background information of what is allowable under Colorado statute and what isn't. So we kind of often serve as, you know, to provide that background information of like, yes, you can do this, but you might want to consider these other issues as well when you're thinking about this, because it's not going to be as simple as, you know, initially planned out or whatever the case is, or there's an order of operations that you need to go through. So, um, Okay. I don't know if that's helpful or not. It's pretty. <laughs> it does. And it's just it's a great insight into, you know, what your job or what that kind of position is, looks like, especially in the Colorado um, state context. Um, so we're almost out of time. So I'm going to just focus on our last question. Um, and it's going to be focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm curious if you could please maybe explain how does either your office or the state government writ large, if that's even possible to describe in one go how do they have a designated leader or a team that drives dei initiatives and that would engage with internal and external stakeholders yeah so we i know there was an initial group started back in 2020 i believe and Mm -hmm. then i think the person who was leading it left and we restarted Um, an equity, diversity, and inclusion team within OSPB last year to try to think about how how we incorporate it into our budget process Mm. and how we get state departments to think about equity, diversity, and inclusion when when they're submitting requests to us and when they're, you know, establishing their programs and, you know, how they're impacting their stakeholders and citizens of Colorado. Mm. Um, it's complicated, you know, everyone, there's always finite resources and we want them to be considering a hundred different things at one time. So we've been trying to work through the process of how we include that more meaningfully in our budget process this year. Um, there's also a state level working group, um, that is led by the department of personnel and administration that, takes equity, diversity, inclusion considerations into account. Um, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. what all of the things that they work on are, but that has been a focus over the last couple of years in state government. And I think it's just, you know, a matter of time Mm -hmm. to figure out how to incorporate it better at such, you know, at the state level, which employs tens of thousands of people and, Mm -hmm. you know, touches so many different programs and parts of the state and, and citizens gotcha yeah it's 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 a huge it's an ambitious goal and it's it's always hard work and you know it's doing that across a huge organization i can only imagine the cha- challenges um and I'm, I'm curious if you could quickly maybe speak to how maybe your office you're talking about these numbers you present right that are super important and they follow the story you're developing a story or a some kind of narrative do they train or do you, were, they, were you trained or do they ask you to make sure that those extrapolations attempt to address DEI or certain social issues? 
or inequities? So I would say in the budget process, um, we also use evidence-based policy measures oftentimes. So we're trying to kind of overlap evidence-based policy with equity, diversity, inclusion considerations so that, um, you know, we're creating policies or pushing policy in the direction for the budget of, you know, having evidence-based, you know, mm-hmm. equity considerations in there. Mm-hmm. I think for the document that my team produces, the economic and revenue forecast, we've made a very concerted effort to start presenting more data mm-hmm. in our forecast that looks at not only kind of the, you know, aggregate macro indicators like unemployment mm-hmm. levels in the state, but how is unemployment broken down by different demographic groups mm-hmm. and education yeah. levels? So we have made a concerted effort to start including that and present it more in our economic and revenue forecasts to the JVC mm-hmm. so that, you know, we're not just saying, we're not assuming that everyone in the state is, you know, if unemployment rate is low, we're not assuming that everyone is having the same experience. We're talking about how different groups are experiencing mm-hmm. the economic recovery right now in different ways. Exactly. Wow. That's, oh, sorry. Continue. My bad. No, and I would say, you know, we don't have training on this. We don't have training on a lot of things, honestly. <laughs> a lot of it is like figure it out as you go. So um, we're all doing our best every day. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to talk about these um, insights about your job and your journey and um, how you've got to where you are since Corbell. And um, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I want to add my thanks on behalf of the Office of Career and Professional Development. Meredith, you're, you've always been so generous since you've left and um, given so much of your time to talk to students. So we really appreciate it. I want to thank both you, Meredith, and you, Graham, for joining us for this conversation today. And I hope that all of you will join us next time for the Corbell Careercast.